technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution. A culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and driving the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. I'm being joined today by Ralph Wallace, the Program Director and IPv6 Lead at Aptive Resources. Ralph, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Always, always eager to go ahead and talk with intelligent people and have a good time. Awesome. Well, let's start with the first question, which is, what is Internet Protocol version 6 and why is it so important? Well, the interesting thing about Internet Protocol version 6 is that as soon as you just look at the version, uh, version 6, you're going, okay, what about 5, 4, 3, 2, 1? And, and uh, it's interesting how the Internet evolved. The Internet evolved, and the term was coined Internet Protocol by the Advanced Research Project Agency uh, about 20, 30 years ago. And when they did that, uh, they said, well, here's what we want to do. We want to connect these computers uh, within these universities. And these computers, these servers, would be able to share information much, much quicker instead of, you know, mailing floppy disks, if you will, or mailing tapes. So they, they connected these uh, universities, and uh, then they called this protocol Internet Protocol Version 4. The the guy in charge, the project manager in charge, Dr. Vince Cerf, uh, working for the Advanced Research Project Agency, a part of Department of Defense, uh, said, you know, this is actually going to be good for the Department of Defense because they can actually communicate better, more information sharing, etc. But he was focused on Department of Defense. He, he created Internet Protocol version 4, and he said, okay, good enough. 4.3 billion addresses. It's a, it's a, the addressing scheme is in such a way that, you know, 4.3 billion addresses. Wow. That should be more than enough for DOD. And so he, he stopped production and he, he let it go. And then what happened is that he transitioned ownership of the IPv4 standard over to the National Science Foundation. Natural Science Foundation said, oh, cool, here's what's going on. Now, here's all these engineers and all these different universities that started saying, wait a minute, this is cool. We can communicate here and we can communicate here. And then they started realizing that they can create something called a website. And so they had the connections. And then the World Wide Web came about. And the first thing you know, Everybody is clamoring at the door for the Natural Science Foundation because they want to have their own website. Will you remember, for those people that remember this, big deal, explosion. You know, here's this web, and here's this, and economically, um, we still remember that, that explosion. Well, guess what? 4.3 billion Internet Protocol addresses is not sufficient for the world. And and uh, Vince Cerf, 
I know I'm in, he's, he's a great guy. He said in a public forum, he says, if I would have known this would have exploded like this, I would not have stopped with 4.3 billion addresses. <laughs> I would have taken it to the next step. And so, um, having realized that the internet engineering task force said, you know what? We have to keep the internet alive. We have to keep the internet going. And so what did they do? Through version control and proper engineering, uh, they tried IPv5 and that failed miserably. And that is now relegated to history. Uh, today you've got internet protocol version six and, uh, the, the mathematical term of numbers of addresses in this address schema is, is 3.4 undecillion. I, I know I, when I first heard it, I went, what? Undecillion. Um, effectively what that is, is trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of IP addresses available for both the internet and for enterprises that today have their networks running with internet protocol. Uh, a way to, to visualize it is that the uh, original allocation of 4.3 billion addresses is about the size of a golf ball. And the size of the IPv6 addresses is the size of the sun. So if you look at that visual you realize now that we've got more addresses than we could possibly want to have. And that's the reason why we went from an IPv4 address structure to an IPv6 address structure. Does that, does that answer the question? Yes. Yes, it does. So why is the government actually mandating agencies to transposition from IPv6 from IPv4? The, the mandate um, is... Well, first off, it's been ongoing since 2005, and now here we are in 2023, and we still haven't got it completed yet. Uh, but the mandate, um, it, good engineering analysis has shown that IPv6 is faster than IPv4. It reduces the administrative overheads because it flattens the topology. The design of IPv6 allows people to manage their enterprise. Notice I said enterprise, not internet, but manage their enterprise mm-hmm. in a very concrete and granular fashion that gives you a quality of service opportunity that IPv4 could never guarantee. Okay. Okay, so then what happens? I know they've got a 2025 deadline. What if can what if they can't meet it? Can they get an extension? I I love that question. Uh, and the reason being is that oh, since I was the internal revenue service IPv6 transition manager for nine years, um, all of my executives used to ask me that. What happens if we don't meet it? What happens? You know, what, what what's going on? And um, see, in reality, in the federal space, budgets shift. Mm-hmm. And, and when budgets shift, things can't get done. I mean, you've only got, you you only have so much amount of money in your budget. You only have certain set of priorities. Every CIO under the Clear Cohen Act, every CIO has control over their budget for their respective agency. And it doesn't matter whether it's a very, very small independent agency or whether it's a CFO Act agency like Treasury, Interior, Commerce, et cetera. So 
when you have priorities in your budget, sometimes those priorities say, this is more important. I want to put zero trust into my enterprise and I'll allow IPv6 transition to happen eventually. So uh, the thing about eventually, I said zero trust, tick 3.0. There's all of these things that are requirements for our federal enterprises in order to get to where they need to get to. All, all beautiful things, all things that are appropriate, but it comes down to the point of, okay, what happens if they don't have this done by 2025? Well, it's a black eye for the CIO, but is the CIO going to, you know, is, is that CIO's birthday going to be taken away? Is that CIO's, are they going to lose any money? Uh, it's, it's a black eye because they're going to be red in one of OMB's, uh, means by which they measure effectiveness. Mm. But it's, if they don't make it, that's fine. What I'm telling people when I, what I've been advising people is that start the progress and, and start working towards it. And when you're working towards it, OMB and the federal IPv6 task force will see that you're doing good engineering skill sets, good programmatic skill sets, and you're managing the transition. So if you get it done in 2026 or 2027, that's okay. Okay. So now as people start to work on the transition, what challenges are agencies facing and how can they overcome them? Okay. One challenge is uh, the lack of experienced personnel. It's um, And this has been going on since 2005. People go, well, who's that person who's who understands IPv6? And and the problem is, back in 2005, there was about 2,000 IPv6 subject matter experts in the world. Uh, since then, now here we are, 2023, that number has increased. But for an example, if you went onto LinkedIn or you went to some job boards and you started looking for people that have IPv6 experience and IPv6 technical skills, the labor pool is very, very, very small. Mm. So, so having that labor pool being very small, it, it creates this quandary for leadership. Okay. How do I know what I'm doing is right? How do I create a plan in place that gives me the opportunity to be successful? How do I, all of those hows? We know that in creating the presidential budget, you need to have a base of estimate. And in, during that base of estimate, okay, well, how many FTEs is it going to take in order to get this job done? If you're, if you don't have that trained, experienced person or persons involved with your team, you may not ask for enough money. And if you don't ask for enough money in the budget, that means that when time comes to get the job done, you won't be able to hire the people. You won't be able to buy the equipment, et cetera. So, the quandary is experienced people. The challenge is experienced people. And then how do you fix that? You can establish a training plan. And in the training plan, you've got to train. And this is something that I've actually done for the federal IPv6 task force uh, for best practices on affecting the federal IPv6 transition. You know, the training plan's got to be the network. It's got to be the applications. It's got to be cybersecurity. And if you don't have at least those three areas for training in place, 
then you may be missing out. And even though you want to deploy a appropriate and secure network, you may have some gaps. So challenge is training and getting experienced people. Uh, the, uh, the solution is to get a training plan in place. And of course, if you can hire the people that know what they're doing. Okay, so now do you know where most agencies are lying in the transition process and what ones are taking the lead? I I do. Um, and, and since I do, one of the things that the Federal IPv6 Task Force does when they have their monthly meetings is that they don't, they prefer not to say it in press, uh, only because it's, it's a federal approach and doing so. What I will say is, a third of the CFO Act agencies are well on their way and being successful. A third are in progress and, and are actually making decent progress. And a third are still awaiting their budgets and awaiting uh, the impetus to, to set their plans in place. So if you, if you use my example, a third and a third and a third, a third are doing really good. A third or in progress, and they're not bad. The other third is they haven't quite started yet, but they've got planning in place. Okay, so now looking at some of the agencies that are taking the lead in this, what are some of the best practices that people can use when they do the transition? It's, uh, yes. So the, the nice thing about this is that there's sufficient agencies like Department of Interior, Department of Education, Environmental Protection Agency, uh, Department of Treasury, uh, many of these agencies have already gotten to the point where they've established good lessons learned and good best practices. So from there, um, so one of the things I want to make sure that your audience appreciates is that the IPv6 transition is nothing more than a huge technology insertion into the enterprise. Huge technology insertion. And the biggest problem about technology insertion projects in any IT environment, private or public, is program management. If you don't establish normal program management 101 best practices with risk management, configuration control, communications management, all of those things and schedule management, cost management, if you don't put those things in place, you are going to have, you're going to add challenges. You're going to add challenges to your, to your list. So first off, establish a good program management governance and make sure that your stakeholders are involved sufficiently to know that this is what you're doing and this is how you're getting there and your stakeholders can support that. And then the technology Technology actually is in place. Uh, your major vendors already have IPv6 capable elements. But the hard part is making sure that your acquisition criteria is in place, that you're going to buy IPv6 capable elements to insert into your environment. And then after that, it's actually standard system development lifecycle stuff. Define your requirements, set your design, build your implementation plan, Pilot, 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 uh, your design and implementation plan. And then when everything is uh, for risk reduction purposes, then just implement it and implement that a little bit at a time. Now, one of the things we did with the Internal Revenue Service is that 
we started on one side of the United States and we just gradually moved all the way to the opposite side of the United States. And we did most of our stuff in an automated fashion. So it made it relatively straightforward and that we could see the transition happening. If you can't see it, sometimes uh, things can get lost between the cracks. Right. So now looking at the private sector, what is the private sector doing about IPv6? Well, actually, what's fun about the private sector, and I mean fun, is so Wells Fargo, International Bank, right? They've deployed IPv6 uh, internal to their environment. Uh, LinkedIn, we're all familiar with LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Data centers, IPv6 only. Facebook, IPv6 only in their data centers. Uh, And Google, the same thing. Microsoft, the same way. Amazon, the same. So many of these large content delivery, um, large data sources for information are using IPv6 because they found out that, number one, it's faster, easier to manage, and has better cybersecurity. So here they are doing that. And if you're going to say the adoption curve, they've already adopted it. So they're already ahead of many of their competitors. So when I say many of their competitors, um, there's there's some people out there that would say, I want to be a competitor. But um, in this case here, they realize that the future of the Internet and the future of enterprises is based on IPv6. So if you're going to leverage the power of IPv6 as a technology, you must adopt it. Okay, so this has all been great. What are, do you have some helpful resources for guidance about IPv6? That's, that's mm-hmm. um, yes, I do. Uh, the the question is who, not who. Let me let me be very clear. If you're a, if you're somebody who's just searching to find out about IPv6, just do a Google search on on the books. If you're going to go and do some advanced work, um, there's people that I know and who are friends of mine, colleagues of mine, who've written a number of books that are extremely technical. Uh, names like Scott Hogue and Eric Vinke, who wrote IPv6 Security. Um, I know uh, Lawrence Hughes, who uh, has written several books on the deployment of IPv6 and the means by which to secure it uh, using PKI. Uh, there's gentlemen like Tom Coffin, who um, is explained IPv6 addressing, which is, once again, night and day from IPv4. But that addressing component gives you the tools by which you can say, Oh, so this is how you do it. Um, I have other friends and colleagues that I could give you references. But if you do a Google, um, if you want to do a Google and talk about U.S. government, you just say U.S. government IPv6 product profile. Um, you'll come up with the U.S. government uh, NIST standards for IPv6. Uh, you can actually, in some cases, pull up in a Google profile some best practices off of the Department of Defense High Performance Computing Organization and their website, which is open source. 
plenty of opportunities. Just make sure that if you're looking for a source, making sure that when you read it, it's not a cookbook. It's not a recipe. You have to be able to interpret it so to meet your enterprise IT needs. Okay. Ralph, is there anything else you'd like to add? The opportunity to get to IPv6 in the federal health environment is huge. The reason it's huge is telehealth is a very big deal today. I can ensure today, based on my engineering work, that if you want to do telemedicine with a person who is anywhere else in the United States and you're outside 50 miles from a, a, a medical facility, IPv6 can significantly enhance your capability to ensure that that video stream is uninterruptible. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it significantly increases the opportunity for telemedicine across the United States and actually worldwide. Okay, Ralph, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I hope I I met or exceeded your expectations. Absolutely. (laughs) Have a great day. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, check us out at govforum.io or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please subscribe, give us five stars, and share with your friends. Oh, 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 oh,